1: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations.
1: So Amy, did you know that uh, one of the podcasts that launched with our podcast is a brand new podcast by Michael Ian Black called Obscure? Obscure. Yeah, um, it's actually really cool. I love Michael Ian Black. Do you know him?
0: I've never gotten to meet him, but I love... Him from far away, where I am.
1: Yeah, his Twitter is amazing. Uh, he is a very smart guy, a very dry guy, and what he is doing in this podcast is tackling a great work of literature that he has never read, and you probably haven't either. It's uh, Jude the Obscure.
0: Jude the Obscure. Yeah, which it I sounds don't even so know. intellectual.
1: He is basically reading out loud and commenting as he goes on. Even though he regrets this idea immediately as he starts this podcast, and he has great people on too. It's like um, David Cross is on. On there uh, Michael showalter the the book becomes this kind of entry point to talk about bigger ideas you know like how people fell in love or how to achieve goals. It's interesting it's unlike any other podcast out there so you're gonna get a, a book on tape. But also, a special guest interview. It all works perfectly. And if you're a fan of Michael uh, and his other podcasts, like Eating Snacks, it kind of fits right in that mold. Uh, So check it out on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. That's Obscure, O-B-S-C-U-R-E.
0: The year is 1933. In New York, women are broke and men are gorillas. The movie, King Kong.
1: Everybody. Welcome to Unspooled. Unspooled. I am Paul Shear.
0: I'm Amy Nicholson.
1: And each week we are going down the AFI's top 100 films from the 2007 list. So last week, Amy, we talked about Shawshank Redemption and I have to say one of the most uh, divisive episodes we've ever done here on the podcast. I, know I didn't
0: think it could get more divisive after Titanic.
1: <laughs> no, people were on our side on Titanic and here People, I'm I'm getting tweets saying, like, I'm enraged. I'm heartbroken. This is my favorite movie. What have you done? And then other people going, like, you are right. This is Lifetime for Dudes. Finally, someone said it. And so, there's
0: anything wrong with that.
1: I like Lifetime for Dudes. Um, Were you surprised at that reaction? No. Okay. (laughs) I was shocked.
0: I mean, it's the number one movie on IMDb for a reason. People really love this movie. And I think if I loved this movie this deeply and then I had to listen to us talk about it, I'd be like, fuck those guys. <laughs> and
1: I do believe that like – and I think one of the things that gets lost sometimes in translation, especially with the people who are heartbroken and enraged, is that there's a difference. We're talking about like the greatest movies and and – Does it belong on that list? And, you know, and this movie is higher than Silence of the Lambs and Easy Rider. And I know some people are like, I totally think that that's wrong. And other people are like, I totally think that that's right.
0: Yeah, when you pointed that out, I didn't realize how much dislike there was on Twitter for Easy Rider. Oh, yeah. That also surprised me. Oh, yeah.
1: Easy Rider, people really do not like. Um, One of the best things that came out of our Twitter discussions was uh, the mashup of Space Jam and Shawshank Redemption. It became something called uh, Shawshank Jam. And it was... Was kind of hypothesizing that maybe Michael Jordan was red and Bugs Bunny was Tim Robbins' character and the warden was Yosemite Sam. And when uh, when Bugs Bunny escapes Shawshank, he goes, "Ah, should have taken a left at Albuquerque." Uh, and it's the dumbest thread in all these passionately uh, defensive and uh, supportive tweets about Shawshank Redemption. I'd also like to give <laughs> a
0: shout out to Anoush Froungian who drew us a pizza called Shawshank Redemption. Talking. It was beautiful. And then oh, somebody else that. took that pizza and then made the pizza say, get pizza living or get pizza dying. <laughs> uh,
1: well, we appreciate the conversation and especially the conversation going on on our Facebook group as well, which is just growing in numbers and uh, a lot of opinions there. Keep it up. We love it. And uh, maybe now let's leave Shawshank Prison behind just like Andy and Red as they spend the rest of their days in uh, Neo. <laughs> uh and talk about a a big movie.
0: A big big movie.
1: Big
0: movie. Alright, so this movie, let's set out some key facts at the beginning. Yeah. Key facts.
1: Key facts.
0: We got King Kong. It's out in 1933, and it is directed by Marion C. Cooper and Ernest B. Schoedzak.
1: It's a movie where a film crew goes to a tropical island for an exotic location shoot and discovers a colossal ape who takes a shine to their female blonde co-star. He is then captured and brought back to New York City for public exhibition.
0: The actors we got going on here, we got the lovely Fay Ray as Ann Darrow. the so woman. Good. Take it away. We've got Robert Armstrong as Carl Denham, the morally questionable director. And we have Bruce Cavett as Jack Driscoll, a dude on the ship who kind of sucks.
1: Amy, I never saw this movie.
0: What? Dude, yes. I'm so happy for you that you got to.
1: I am thrilled. I cannot tell you how much I love this movie and... I'm so upset that I waited until now to see it. For some reason, I thought it would just be, like, boring or a little, like, ambitious for the time, but not interesting or engaging. It is viscerally exciting and fun. I... I felt like I was watching a summer movie watching this movie, I, like a current summer movie. I, the effects, I was all in on it. I was okay with everything about this movie. It really, I don't know, it, it brought me a great sense of happiness.
0: Yeah, Kong was, it was sort of a huge summer movie in its day. Like Kong comes out, I think, early in the year of 1933. Yes, it's massive, and by the end of that year, they have a sequel. They're like Son Kong. We got this.
1: By the way, talking about massive, just understand the ticket prices at that's this time were thirty five to seventy five cents, and the movie made eighty nine thousand dollars over four days in New York. Four made eighty nine thousand dollars, and this is during the depression. All right, the rock bottom of the depression. This movie is pulling in ninety grand in four days and i i started to think to myself like we always talk about jaws as the beginning of the the summer blockbuster i'm like i think this is more of a blockbuster than i ever kind of imagined it it has all the tropes and the trappings of what i love of summer movies it's fun it's it's exciting it's uh you know it's just a very uh pulpy, great ride. I don't yeah, know.
0: It's technologically breaking all of these new boundaries. It's using all these different camera techniques.
1: From a technical standpoint, uh, the director of this film, uh, which is Miriam C. Cooper, right, he has a very interesting career because this movie is giant. And I was like, oh, I must have missed uh, all of his other films. He really didn't make that many more films. He made the sequel, Son of Kong, and then uh, pretty much two other films. I mean, that's it. You would have thought that he went on to be the biggest filmmaker of the time.
0: Yeah, that's true. Like, right now, if you made, if you were a guy who just made King Kong, people would be like, how much money do you want for me to own you forever of perpetuity? Yeah. But Marion Cooper, he's an interesting guy. He is a soldier. He was a POW. He fought in World War One, and he was captured by the Germans, and then he got captured by the Soviets, and then he got the idea for King Kong in a dream. He had a dream about this giant gorilla terrorizing New York and was like, I have to make this movie happen. And then King Kong becomes a huge hit. And then 10 years later, he's like, oh, I'm going to re-enlist in World War II. And so he becomes wow. a soldier in World War II. And he's actually on the USS Missouri when Japan surrenders. Although, honestly, maybe what he reminds me more of is like a uh, Michael Moore slash Oliver Stone type of guy. Because what mm. he does when he gets in between wars, when he's not making wars or blockbuster <laughs> films. You know, Marion Cooper is a guy who does almost political documentaries. He does stuff about like migratory farmers in Iran with this guy who co-wrote the film with him, Ernest B. Uh, Shodzak. They were explorers. They're like kind of old-fashioned, hey, guys.
1: Well, it seems like Kong came out of the idea of just a fascination with... Like monkeys. I mean, it was like like it wasn't like, let's make him go to New York. It was more like, wouldn't it be cool if this kind of culture existed on an island, you know, hidden away a little bit?
0: Yeah, it's almost like if you want to understand who Marion C. Cooper, the director of King Kong, is, just look at the character he wrote, Carl Denham, because he basically wrote himself into this movie the way that Cameron kind of wrote himself into Titanic. and he even cast this actor, He even cast Robert Armstrong. Because they looked alike. They both had these kind of, like, square, heavy, big, cheeky sort of – oh, what's his name? Seth MacFarlane faces. Well,
1: you know, it's funny that you say that because I was thinking about this movie. For 1933, it's very inside baseball, right? I mean, you're talking about a movie about a movie. And what they're talking about at the top of the film, like, we got to find an actress. No actress will go and do this because they don't know where they're going. And he's like, well, I'll just basically – kidnap a homeless person off the street to be the star of my movie, which is a a crazy and slightly problematic issue. But I was surprised at how kind of meta this movie was about the making of film.
0: That is so true. And there's a scene in here that's amazing about it that we'll get to that is so perfect. So perfect. But let's start at the beginning of this. You know, you mentioned right at the top of the show, this is 1933. It is the absolute lowest point of the Depression, like you said, And it's about that desperation. This girl, Faye Ray, playing the character Ann Darrow, gets on his ship because she is starving to death. And this is the only Mm. job she can get. And he goes, what's so callous about this is when he's like, I need a woman. The first place he shows up at is a house for poor women. He's like, I'll find a desperate girl here. (laughs) And Anne catches his eye because he catches her stealing fruit, which is this trope I've always always wondered about in movies. Is people are always getting trouble for stealing one of two things: yes. fruit or bread. And I'm always like, go for the bread. There's calories there, and apple's not going to get you far.
1: Well, I'm glad that you brought that up because I've always had that trouble, and that's why I love Aladdin because Aladdin is taking bread from the cartoon, of course.
0: Um, I would take like a ham. Um, you know, one
1: of the things too uh, that I love about this movie. It does have an overture right at the top, a little fun overture. But overture? I, <laughs> what's up, overture? Uh, but I did love that the movie is called King Kong, the Eighth Wonder of the World. I didn't realize it had, like, a subtitle underneath it like that.
0: I looked up what the other wonders were because I got yes. curious.
1: Yeah. Um, do it, you want to know? Uh, can I guess at least one of them? Yeah. Taj Mahal. Uh, no. Oh. Pyramids?
0: No Whoa
1: Alright Then I have no idea What are these wonders
0: <laughs> um, The Colosseum in Rome Okay The Great Wall of China Okay Hagia Sophia Which I just saw It's oh, beautiful yeah. It's beautiful I don't know if I'd put it in seven But it's up there uh, Leaning Tower of Pisa The Porcelain Tower of Nanjing Stonehenge and kind of pyramid like some catacombs in Alexandria.
1: Wow, I think Taj Mahal should definitely get on there too, but I yeah. guess man, whatever. The, I mean they
0: seem to they they update the wonders of the li- of the world list as much as AFI adds to their <laughs> list collection. There are so many lists out there.
1: Um, you know, I never saw King Kong, but it felt so familiar to me because I saw the Peter Jackson version of King Kong, which seemingly is a beat for beat remake of that movie and I'm just shocked that he went back to the 30s, when he should have maybe just updated it to now. I mean, I see this movie being so much more interesting in like, if Michael Bay took a crew on an expedition.
0: Yeah, like, I mean, Peter Jackson himself should know that there's this giant hunt happening right now for the Tasmanian tiger on the island of Tasmania, not far from him. He could go check it out.
1: Wait, what is the Tasmanian tiger?
0: It used, It's like the passenger pigeon of giant cat kind of things. Okay. And um, there are hundreds of them. It's that typical story. They're like, we don't like this thing. It's eating our goats. And they started shooting all the tigers. And now they've been considered extinct for a really long time. They have this very stiff tail. That's how you know it's them if you think it's them. Right. But they're basically like a Bigfoot. People keep thinking they might still be alive, but nobody's had any conclusive proof. Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah. This is a story that feels that you can easily universally update it. Uh, and I think that's what they did in the the version with Faye Dunaway when he climbed up the uh, World Trade Center, <laughs> uh, which I've seen that movie a bunch too. I, I actually came to realize in watching <laughs> this movie that I like pretty much all King Kong movies. I really like Skull Island too. I'm like, I'm into big gorillas. I, I, I think, And I think Skull Island did a great job of kind of putting it in during Vietnam. I thought that was an interesting way to kind of frame it as well. But, uh, I really yeah, like
0: I, Skull Island, too. That movie was awesome, actually. It had a lot of heart. Yeah. My problem with Skull Island is almost related to my problem with Kong, my one quibble, my okay. my, my, my Kong quibble, Yeah, which is I don't like the romance, the literal romance in either of these movies when it's not woman and ape. The woman and yes. ape is great. Women and men in both of these movies are boring. I thought Skull Island was sort of boring, and I thought King Kong— I hate her boyfriend so much in King Kong. Oh,
1: well, first of all, there's no reason for her to have that boyfriend on that boat. There is no connection between them. They have a scene and a half before they're just admitting love for each other. I'm like, why? I mean, maybe she just wants more bread and fruit. I don't know. But it just didn't seem like there was any real connection between these two characters. And I agree with you. I I don't care about the, the Kong's relationship with her that much either.
0: Well, yeah, I actually pulled the scene where her boyfriend, Jack Driscoll, who's a guy on the ship, tells her he loves her because I hate, A, the way that he does it even. Mm-hmm. It's not even just that I hate that they fall in love. He's such a patronizing, horrible, masculine jerk uh-huh. because Anne Darrow is kind of awesome. Anne Darrow is this girl who's like, sure, I'll get on this ship. She's like, hey, this adventure's pretty cool. He's like, stay on the boat. And she's like, I'm glad I'm not on the boat. It's yeah. great. And she's not in this like plucky kind of Catherine Hepburn shoving her elbows around way. She's a very soft and feminine Absolutely of heroin. She's not trying to be like I'm a ball buster But she continually stands up For her need to want To have adventures And her fineness with it Yeah and Then she falls for this dude Who's like Stay home Be safe I'm gonna take care of you
1: Who literally Hit her in the face And takes almost An entire scene To apologize for He doesn't
0: it. even apologize for it Yeah He doesn't even apologize for it He hits her in the face And he's like You know you should Get out of the way more um, <laughs> Here let's play the scene Where he tells her He loves her
1: Oh this is
0: I wonder what we do next
2: It's just what's worrying me. If Denham's such a fool for risks, there's no telling what he might ask you to do for this picture. Well, after all he's done for me, I'd take any kind of chance for him. Don't talk like that. Say, he's crazy enough to try anything.
0: Well, I won't go back on him.
2: I think what might have happened today... See, if anything had happened to you...
1: Well, then you wouldn't be bothered with having a woman on board.
2: (laughs) Don't laugh. I'm scared for you. I'm sort of scared of you too and uh i uh uh say i guess i love you
0: why jack you hate women
1: yeah i know but you aren't women i thought that was one of the craziest lines i wrote that down too what
0: I hate him. He's like, don't be awake. Don't talk like that. Don't laugh. Oh, And I'm scared of women. I just muttered that under my breath really quietly.
1: He, I mean, there is no reason. If someone just came up to you the second day that you met them and go, like, I think I'm in love with you, you'd be like, "Uh, check, I'm out. Like, that is not, this is, there's no tension between these two people. I think. If anything, it's sort of they fell in love with that uh, Keanu and Sandra Bullock idea, like, people under intense circumstances, you know, connect together. Like, there, there is no reason why these two are together, why they would want to be together at all.
0: Yeah, the only thing I can think of, and I don't actually believe what I'm about to say, mm-hmm. is that it's some sort of meta layering of, like, I mean, if Jack was a a good guy, he'd be the hero of the film, but he right. sucks. So it means we like Kong a little better and we love Anne.
1: And I will say that Kong, for a stop-motion animated figure, really exudes a lot of emotion in this film. Like, I am on the Kong journey. I think I always sympathize with this character. It's sort of like he's living his own life. People come in there. He didn't mean to hurt them. But now he, like, look. He likes this girl, and he wants to. He wants to kind of just see what happens. Why does Kong not get a chance to connect with this girl, but this uh, asshole captain does? It's
0: because Kong can't talk. Kong can't woo her with these words of love, like "go to bed."
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Kong can't patronize her. Yeah, no. I mean, I mean, there's a lot we don't know about Kong. Mm-hmm. In that, there's a world where Kong has spent the last like 50 years of his life, or however old Kong is. Uh, He has a son, I guess, in the sequel, so he must be, like, dad dad age. I guess that's his dad bod. But um, (laughs) he apparently has been eating a lot of women from this island for a really long time. Well,
1: his brides. You mean his brides. They they were all being decorated to be the bride of Kong.
0: Bride's a nice word. What do you think he was doing (laughs) with them? Just, like,
1: dropping them in, like, a Benihana shrimp. Like, that's what he just, like, I feel like they were just bites of. The other thing, too, was, like, the sacrifice of one person for Kong seemed like... They would have to be doing like sacrifices at lunch, breakfast, and dinner. Like, I mean, that it's not going to satiate Kong. I mean, this this character uh, ate a bunch of people, it didn't seem to stop them or fill them up at all.
0: It's true. Like, I wish if there had been a Kong sequel, it was about how all the women might have escaped somehow or what yes. they were doing on the other half of the island forming their society away from all these like witch doctors who have been feeding them and being like fuck all this.
1: By the way, I just want to give a shout out to the woman that we see being prepped to be the bride of Kong. Uh she has just the best face on her. It's like, mm, this sucks. Like, she does so much without saying a word. It's just like you read it all in her face like, son of a bitch, why me? Like, I don't know. I really it's like it. It's true.
0: This. She has the right mix of like, I can't fight this. I'm a little scared. This sucks heavily. Yeah. And yeah, she's not just like a blank face, like, well, this is what we do. Because I think there's a lot of movies that are condescending and play it like, well, that's their culture. It's yeah. fine with it because it's what they do now. Well, I
1: do believe that, you know, the Kong that we meet here would not just take a woman and eat her. I just feel like he seems more, I don't know,
0: polite He's a curious guy. Like, Kong seems to me curious.
1: Yes. He wants to see what's under the clothes.
0: Yeah, actually, I kind of want to play that scene where he picks up Andaro after he's killed a bunch of dinosaurs. And he really gets to actually look at the woman that he kidnapped because, like we said, Kong can't talk. So what does the talking for him in the movie Is the music, is the soundtrack by Max Steiner. This was a groundbreaking soundtrack at the time.
1: Well, it was at a time when people weren't even doing full soundtracks for films. They were just taking other music and kind of repurposing it. And they made a soundtrack for this film, which I believe is why he is known uh, as the father of film composing.
0: It's true. You know, this is 1933. We're still a little bit early-ish in... In sound. And there's times of where King Kong could play just like a silent film. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And this actually came a bit in the general. People were like, oh, my music was over here. Remember we were talking about everybody had different music. And that would happen a lot in movies like that. They would just have the piano player play whatever the piano player was kind of going to play. Yeah. And improv it a bit. But King Kong was like, here's how the music definitely goes now that we can control what the music is. And you hear in it, even from that overture, overture at the beginning, this playfulness of, classical sounds this idea of western culture turning into drums and yeah. like and exploratory sounds adventure sounds and then in this scene we're talking about where he looks at Fay Wray, where he really investigates her you hear every emotion in this you hear him go from like a beast and like kind of a warlike scary figure to his curiosity his playfulness to him tickling her and that's all in the sounds
1: I love this scene for a couple of reasons. One of the things I love about Kong is his gentle finger work. Like, I've never seen such a delicate, like, uh, Whenever he's doing anything with his fingers, they move very quickly and, like, uh, very spryly. Like, when he undoes Andaro's, like, uh, chains from when she's being held captive. I don't know. There's something very cute about it, and, and I watch it. I just fell in love with it.
0: Willis O'Brien, who does the special effects here, who's incredible and who we'll definitely talk about more when we even get to the dinosaurs, uh, his backdrop, where you have like, "Hey, it's the jungle. Hey, here's some pterodactyls flying through." Guess where we saw that before? Where? In our very first episode on Citizen Kane. Wait, when? Okay, so you know when uh, Charles Foster Kane takes his wife, his second wife, to camp, to, to camp with all their rich friends? Yeah. I wrote this in my notes, and I didn't even say it in the Citizen Kane episode. I was like, what are those weird birds in the background? They reused the background of this jungle projection for the background of the camp scene. So when you see these weird birds in the background of where the campers are, it's the same pterodactyls. I was always like, why the fuck are there pterodactyls there? But I kept thinking that can't be a pterodactyl.
1: That's crazy.
0: Dude, Citizen Kane recycles King Kong. And I love that there's pterodactyls
1: on their camping trip. People, somebody must have spotted that.
0: Yeah, I love that a, a perfectionist like Orson Welles was like, oh, I'll let the pterodactyl stay.
1: <laughs> In watching this movie, you kind of see that our modern filmmakers are taking from this structure. I mean, the structure feels just as relevant today as it always has been, you know, and you can see parallels in Jurassic Park too. They're just trying to get through the island and each little section, there's a different beast, you know, whether it's a giant reptile, whether it's, you know, a patasaurus or, you know, it's a, a pterodactyl, it's just interesting to see that since 1933, not much has changed.
0: And they're working with that delay, too. You know, mm-hmm. we don't see King Kong in here until minute 45.
1: Oh, wow. And this movie is only an hour and 44 minutes.
0: Yeah, they make you wait. They're like like Jurassic Park. Like, you want to see these dinosaurs? Well, we got to hang out over here. We're going to talk about some bones for a while. Right. Or even like Titanic. You want to see the boat, the, re- the real boat? You're going to wait for a minute.
1: Yeah, you hear Kong, the grunts, and you see trees moving. And it does. It's it's a more effective reveal. So when you finally get to see him come in, uh, you know, this little creature, who's not little at all, but uh, really, you know, makes a big entrance.
0: Yeah, you sense him. I mean, you see these giant gates, you know, Mm -hmm. and when you see those giant gates, you think— well, those giant gates must deserve a giant something. But also this structure of kind of buildup, we even have that a little bit with Carl Denham. you know, mm-hmm. we show up at this dock. And everyone's like, "Well, this trip's really dangerous. This Carl, he's a madman." Right. And it takes us a while to even understand what he's going to do. They're building up this mystery. Well, there's a lot of bombs here. There's a lot of gas bombs. There's like all this there's a wall of rifles. We got to yeah. hurry up and get out of here before anybody checks our ship.
1: Well, I mean, and then the screen test scene is a perfect example of that. Carl Denham's on the the ship and he wants to test Anne to see if she could be good on camera. He's basically having her Act out what she's going to be doing for real in the actual movie. I thought this is one of the best scenes. And again, going back to that whole idea of like the film being a little bit meta about what type of movie it is, take a listen to his off-camera directions to her.
2: Camera. Look up slowly, Anne. That's it. You don't see anything. Now look higher.
0: Still higher. Now you see it. You're amazed. You can't believe it. Your eyes open wider. It's horrible, Anne, but you can't look away. There's no chance for you,
2: Anne. No escape. You're helpless, Anne. Helpless. There's just one chance. If you can scream, but your throat's paralyzed, try to scream, Anne. Cry. Perhaps if you didn't see it, you could scream. Throw your arms across your eyes and scream, Anne.
0: Scream for your life.
1: Even that Is just building up this anticipation because you as the audience know that you went to go see a movie called Kong, the eighth wonder of the world, that she is going to eventually see this large creature and have this reaction. And by watching her not know that and play it through, it's such a great juxtaposition because when she finally does do it, you get to see the difference between the actor and the person.
0: That scene, Feirei A, is Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And the way he draws it out, like, you can't scream. Your throat is paralyzed. And that scream she finally gives is unreal. It rattles you. I mean, you realize that Faye Ray was a hell of an actress.
1: Oh, yeah. She's fantastic in this movie.
0: And Uh, she does so much screaming in this movie, and people really got annoyed by it. Actually, she even got annoyed by it. She's like, I scream too much. When when she went to the premiere, she was like, oh, my God. I'm screaming in the whole second half.
1: But what else could you do? If any of us are confronted by, you know, a twenty-five foot, you know, gorilla that is holding us in the palm of his or her hand, we would be fucking freaking out. Not
0: rationalize with it. <laughs> I mean it's like one of the women in New York says, gorillas, ah, oh, this town's full of them. Haven't we got <laughs> enough of them in New York? you know, this isn't the negative review. I'm gonna I'm gonna wait a bit on that, but okay. this is one from Variety who also was, like, mixed on the film. Mm-hmm. They treated it the way you'd almost treat a blockbuster today. Like, oh, it's going to sell a lot of tickets, but, you know, it's that kind of stuff. And they say it is a 96-minute screaming session for her, too much for any actress and any audience. With the blonde still screaming while in King's palm atop the Empire State after having screamed all the way from the first reel, another of the unbelievable facts is that Kong shouldn't drop her and look for a non-screamer, even if he has to settle for a brunette. Oh. But they reused her scream later. You know, she did all her screaming in one day. Like, when the movie was done, she went to a sound booth. She recorded an entire day's worth of screams. Got it. They put them all in this movie. And then when they did Son of Kong, which she's not in, they kept reusing her screams there. Faye is almost the original Wilhelm scream.
1: I was going to say, is it the original Wilhelm? Yeah.
0: And actually, for people's benefit, let's talk about the Wilhelm scream. In 1951, there was this movie called Distant Drums. And there's a scene in there, a a smaller scene, where a man is walking through a swamp. He gets attacked by an alligator, and he screams. And this is what it sounds like. Ah! All
2: right.
0: So, you know, it's kind of a toss-away little moment. But it becomes this thing. That scream, by the way, was dubbed in by Sheb Woolley, the actor who did— or the the songwriter, more famously, who did Purple People Eater. Oh, really? Yeah. So they reuse that scream here and there. And then in the 70s and 80s, though that generation of directors, the Spielbergs and the Lucases, who grew up on these type of pulpy action films – it became an inside joke to them, and a sound mixer was like, I'm going to start putting the scream in stuff, and he starts with Star Wars. He has a, sto- a stormtrooper give the scream as he's, like, falling down. There's a bunch of montages of the Wilhelm scream around if people are curious about this, but I picked up this tiny one. The films you're going to hear, you might even recognize them, but it's Batman Returns, Reservoir Dogs, the cartoon Aladdin, a bunch of young Indiana Jones, a goofy movie, Toy Story, and Star Wars Return of the Peter- Jedi.
2: <laughs> ah! Ah! Oh, I may be in when I do.
1: Toy Story. Ah! Wow, that's amazing. You know, I only thought that. That was a Spielberg thing that he put it in every one of his movies. They did not realize that it went across the board. I mean, that's, that is a, I mean, the goofy
0: movie? Well, as a special bonus for us on Unspooled, here's one more. Ah! From a little show that we love here, The Simpsons. Of course, there is our our eternal question. Is there a Simpsons? Why, yes, there is. And in fact, there is an entire Simpsons episode. One of the Treehouse of Horrors, Treehouse of Horror 3, called King Homer. And Marge is Faye. You know, you look a little flushed. Maybe you should eat more vegetables and less people. Uh-huh.
1: uh-huh. Uh, Faye Ray was put through a little bit of hell on a movie like this. I mean, this movie did so much stuff. Uh, you know, they used matte paintings, rear screen projection. They did miniatures and even this weird technique where you could combine several strips of film to kind of create one frame. But they a were lot of doing
0: the, stuff with like panes of glass and shooting through them, and little plants on the inside to make it have depth. And they had to make sure that if a plant like wilted, a whole day's worth of shooting was gone. I think it, at one point, like a flower bloomed, and they're like, "Well, there goes our oh, entire day of work."
1: That's so infuriating. But there's a scene where uh, Anne is in this kind of, I would call it like a a tree chalice that like Kong places her in. Like it's kind of like a prison, but it doesn't look too uncomfortable. It's like a nice big chair. Um, And she was in that chair for 22 hours while they shot that scene because there were so many variables going on. The complexities of watching that fight between King Kong and the T-Rex, which is awesome. Um, But it just seemed like you know, you would think now it would be one of those things where she would go in there for about two seconds, but because they had to do so much around her, they basically just put her in there and she was sore for days.
0: Yeah, can you imagine all day being like, Now pretend again you're seeing a T-Rex fight? Like <laughs> And I bet at that time, you don't even have that many models of what a T-Rex fight would even no, look like you don't even because know. you're creating it now. Well, I mean it's interesting
1: because they tried so many different things in this film to capture what these creatures could and should be. Obviously, we went with this stop motion thing, but at a point, they were going to maybe even use real lizards and have real lizards fight a gorilla and then, you know, show that in the background. They realized that was a tremendous. We did not have
0: the ASPCA back then.
1: Yeah, no, this is, uh, I mean, (laughs) yeah, this would have been a real mess. Also, I heard that in the transportation of these lizards to set, they died, and that also helped um, the director and the writer kind of continue to craft this story of of taking a creature from one place and bringing it to the other and kind of destroying its life. Because uh, from what I gathered a little bit, and you may know more, this script was kind of written on the fly. It was a movie that was shot, you know, over months and months and months. You know, most of the principal actors probably only worked about uh, a handful of weeks Over, I I think, like, the 10 months it took to actually film this movie.
0: If they were putting a lot of their attention on the fights more than anything, it sounds like, or on on the adventure stuff, I think they did such a good job with the animal... Physiology, You know, mm-hmm. the way that these animals fight feels kind of real. They're thinking about it. They're not just trading punches like two guys in suits. Yeah. They're moving the way an animal kind of would. And I love the way that Kong fights in particular. Like, when he fights, he isn't just like, I'm going to punch you in the heart like I'm Stallone or something. Right. He goes for the weak spots. He, like, takes out a leg. He goes for the jaw a lot. Like, the jaw is his move to rip open a jaw. But oh, he fights man. the way— a monster would fight. I mean, Marion Cooper himself was a wrestler, I believe. So I think he he's like an MMA fighter type of dude. So I think he knew how the human body and I guess the animal body, where the weak spots were.
1: Well, it was interesting. Were you surprised at how violent the film was? I mean, you know, Kong, you know, is sometimes it's, you know, there's a lot of, by the way, great limp body work in this movie. I mean, there is so many people being picked up in their bodies and they collapse to the ground. It looks just fantastic. But yeah, he really is using animal instincts and not, you know, a person in a gorilla suit instinct, you know?
0: I like that. And you know what really strikes me too about Kong and the way he fights is when he wins and when he kills whoever he's fighting, there's that moment in every fight where he looks at the corpse and he's like, oh, did I just kill a thing? Right. It almost seems like he doesn't understand death. There's an innocence to his murder rampage.
1: He is someone who doesn't understand how powerful he is, which leads me to go back to the first idea that I don't know if he would be eating all the brides of Kong. I, he doesn't seem like his instinct is to rip apart first and and ask questions later. He, you know, he seems to be like, oh, my hands did this, like the same way when Superman and Superman Two reacts to seeing blood for the first time. He's like, blood, blood.
0: Yeah, you're right, and he's fighting for good, almost or. A good seems creepy, but we'll tell you what, let's do this. Let's compare why he kills to why the humans kill. In contrast to Kong, when the humans see a giant stegosaurus, they just shoot it. They're just like, I'm going to kill that. Right. And then the capper to the scene where they murder it, I just want to play this because A, it proves that Jack is the dumbest dude on Earth. But B, Carl Denham, a guy searching for an awesome story, awesome things, just kills this lizard and then seems like he regrets it and then also doesn't care.
2: Oh my he's still alive. Shoot! What do you call this thing? Why, something from the dinosaur family. Dinosaur, eh? Yes, Jack. A prehistoric beast.
0: If I could only bring back one of these alive. It's just wasted death. They didn't even have to do that.
1: Well, it's so funny that this story is... As relevant as it is in 1933 as it is now, man always has this instinct to go in and kill. Look, Skull Island, even though the name is intimidating, is a peaceful place, right? There's an ecosystem built up there. Yes, Kong is is eating Women, I get that. I'm not saying that that's acceptable, but the island has made peace with that fact, right? It doesn't seem like Kong is fighting a T-Rex on a daily basis. It seems like everyone's doing their own stuff. Uh, Then man comes in and immediately is like, bam, bam. You know, it's like, again, going back to violence in 2001, getting back to that too. You know, we are kind of separating ourselves from learning or actually appreciating nature by just going in and kind of taking it over.
0: But, you know, I think the film is wrestling with that. That's what I find so interesting about this movie is Kong is not the clear hero in this movie at all. But there is a shot when the boys bring him back to New York. He's on display for everybody at the theater. He looks crucified. He looks like a Jesus figure. Absolutely. I mean, we are
1: basically taking something... And making it our entertainment. Like, you know, people putting on a suit. And there's an interesting line in here where I think someone, when they're walking into the theater, is like, $20 a ticket? Oh, my God. And when you think about a movie ticket being, like, 35 cents, so, you know, they're they're monetizing Kong in a very big way.
0: Well, yeah, and on that $20 ticket price thing, that means that the people in that room looking at Kong— Are the rich. It means he starts literally eating the rich. The rich get destroyed first. And I wonder how great that felt in 1933. Because right now I'm like, yeah, let's eat a bunch of rich people.
1: No, but it's the Great Depression. Absolutely. And I mean, I feel like the only person I really feel bad for is that woman who's sleeping in the bed who gets confused for Anne. You know, she does not deserve to be just like dropped (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's the one moment where I'm like, okay, is the film evening the score a little bit? Like, if he didn't do that, would we just really hate everyone for shooting him? But we have to do that to make him slightly
1: bad? But I have to say, at the end of the day, King Kong is just big. It doesn't mean that he's smart. You know, it's like if you take a bull into a china shop, you can't be mad that it knocks over all the china. It's like, that's what it will do. It's not supposed to be in a china shop. Like, Kong is... Not a bad character. He is just reacting to being freaked out. He's tied up on stage. He's crucified. He breaks out. He's like, get me the fuck out of here. And if I'm going to get out of here, I got to see my one person who makes me calm, makes me happy. I got to find my Anne. Who's this woman in the bed? That's not her. Check. You know, but he, you know, that same idea. Like, he he doesn't know what else to do. He climbs to the top of the building, I think, for peace of mind. You know, like, i come away from everybody up here.
0: Yeah, I mean— Honestly, I was making fun of one of the characters in my head watching this movie, When the Brontosaurus Attacks, Yeah, where one of the humans is like, oh man, I know the best way to escape a giant monster with a long neck. I'm going to climb a tree. And I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing, dude? But Kong's sort of doing the same thing. Yeah. Also, I want to play the dude who gets thrown out of a tree scream, just because Anne's scream is so much more badass. All
1: right, let me hear I don't know. I think that's a pretty good scream. Let's actually go to our listeners right now. We asked you last week to give us your screams, uh, screams and grunts. So uh, let's take a listen to what you can do. Are you as good as a Wilhelm? Are you better than a Faye Ray? I want to hear it. Let's go. Michael from Minnesota. Here's my King Kong grunt. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hi, I'm actually not too far from the library, but here's the best I can do. Ah!
2: Hell pounce! a good scream. How pounce!
0: Ah!
1: You are all awesome. Please, if you're a director out there, start using our listeners' calls as your screams and films. It's um,
0: probably easier than using the grunts and the animal noises that they used in King Kong. Because do you know how they did these sounds, especially, I, like, in the fights?
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting process. A little less technical than I was even expecting.
0: Yeah, what the sound designer did, and I love the sound design in this movie so much. He used a bunch of sounds like air compressors. Maybe air compressors played backwards. He recorded pumas and lions and bears. He played those backwards, too. He layered everything on top of each other to make this cacophony of sound. I pulled one fight clip. I pulled the, the T-Rex fight clip because yes. we keep talking about it. Listen for all the noises you hear in here. Listen for the lions and the pumas. Listen for the, ro- okay. the mechanical sound and listen for that air compressor. It sounds so awesome. <laughs>
1: Satanic. No, it's so great. I wrote down in my notes. I I love the sound of the fight scene because there's no music there. It's just animal noises, and it's not even uh, performative animal noises. It just feels like when you hear two dogs getting into a fight or something like it's like that. That real like. Oh, uh, I love it. And can I just talk about the effects? I know that we're talking about effects from 1933, and we have we have upgraded our effects to such a great degree. But I have to say. That in watching this film, I didn't look at it like, oh, those effects are cheesy, but I'm enjoying this. The effects really still kind of hold up to me. I don't know what it is. I know it's not totally fluid or whatever, but I was amazed at what you were able to get across with simple effects or you know, non-computer-generated effects to a certain degree.
0: Yeah, one of my favorite effects that I thought they did deliberately actually turned out to have been something they considered a flaw, which is I love the way that Kong's fur moves. Right. It seems to ripple a lot, you know, when he's standing still. And I learned that they didn't intend to do that. That was just the fingerprints from moving the model around. And Uh. they were like, oh, it sucks, his fur is moving too much. But I think it looks incredible.
1: There's a great way that they tease you with how much of Kong you see. You see a lot of this I'm going to call it model Kong, you know, the one that they're doing the stop motion with. And then they have, you know, the 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 full close-up Kong where he can put people in his mouth. And that one is just great. Like when you see some of those people in his mouth, I'm like, whoa,
0: I love it. Yeah. And then the For big perspective, his fangs are 10 inches and his uh, eyes are 12 inches. And it's uh, modeled as though he'd be like 30, 40 feet tall from there.
1: It's amazing. Well, actually, you know what? There's an interesting thing. The Kong on the island is actually a little bit smaller Than the Kong in New York, Uh, the director was basically like, I feel like New York is so big that we need to scale him up a little bit. So I think it's the difference of in the Skull Island sequences, he was modeled to appear to be 18 feet tall. But when he was in New York, he was scaled up to be 24 feet tall because the director felt like he needed to be bigger in the city to actually have impact.
0: Yeah, and you know, originally this film – Uh, when Marion C. Cooper did it, he wanted to put in that subway scene where he attacks the above-ground train. Oh, yeah. And the budget was like, we can't handle this. You can't do that subway scene. So what he did, this is sort of evil, and I love it. He turned in a version of King Kong that was 13 reels long. Yes. And then he said, guys, 13 is an unlucky number. Can we please make it 14 just to make this film have a good mojo? And by the way, if we do that, I'm going to do the subway scene. And they were like, fine.
1: You know, the film that you watched um, is not the film – that many people actually saw when it was first released. And throughout the years, as the film was re-released, scenes were added back in. They uh, even had scenes that were cut out for code and they found it in different locations. So. This is the full and complete version of the film. It restored the overture and everything there, but some of the scenes that were cut out um, were the disrobing of Andero, which I did think was a little bit provocative for 1933. So a little now, sexy. Yeah, I was surprised. And he was,
0: sniffs his finger.
1: I know that was a bizarre moment.
0: <laughs> and there's one piece they couldn't find because they took it out really early on oh, really? before they even released it the first time. They did a preview test screening. Okay, you know the scene. When um, Kong is shaking that giant log and the mm-hmm. people are falling off the log into the ravine. Yeah. There used to be a scene when they fall into the ravine where all of a sudden those men who already seem like they have it rough get attacked by giant spiders, which Peter Jackson put oh. back in the film. He did it. He, he did it that because okay. the film couldn't. They used the giant spider scene and audiences lost their minds at the preview, freaked out. Some people really? just left. They were like, we're done. And so he took it out of the movie. He was like, all right, all right, all right. No spider attack. And they've never been able to find it ever since.
1: Wow, that's really interesting I mean, and you would think that would be one of the first things that we put back in So maybe there's hope that someone will find the giant spider scene
0: Yeah, but it almost makes you think about the way that we rank animals You know, yeah. we're like, in a fight between mammal and lizard We almost always go mammal It's very rare we don't pick mammal
1: Right, right, right <laughs> And In a
0: fight between, like, even lizard and spider, we'd probably go lizard you know, like But we order things up, up, up with human at the top Well, guys, I am excited to welcome our guest this week. We've got Kate Gilmore. She is a professional primatologist, and she is the lead keeper here at the L.A. Zoo of the great apes and old world monkeys. Kate, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah. First, just let me know, what's the difference between apes and monkeys?
2: Okay. Monkeys have tails. Oh. Full stop. Okay. That's it.
0: Well, and also, what about old world and new world monkeys? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Old world monkeys are monkeys and apes from Africa. And because Africa is old. And then the newer continent of South America has the New World monkeys.
1: We obviously just watched King Kong and we've been talking about King Kong. And, you know, you're working with these animals. And I feel like we kind of came to this conclusion that the great ape King Kong, he is a victim uh, in this world. You know, he's not a bad guy. And uh, but we are kind of amazed at like the humanity that he has and the way that people kind of connect to apes. I think we feel a kinship to them. Do you do you feel like there's like of all the animals, do you feel like people really respond to apes in a different way?
2: Oh, for sure. I mean, um there are five great apes in <laughs> the world, and it is gorillas, chimpanzees, orangutans, bonobos, and humans. We're all part of one big family, and they are chimpanzees are our closest living relatives, and bonobos are a follow very closely after that, and gorillas right next to them in the 90th percentile for um genetic similarities to humans. So when you look into the eyes of a primate, you're kind of looking at yourself. There's a lot of reflection. And uh, when people come to the LA Zoo or any zoo in particular, if you watch primates long enough, you're going to see human characteristics and um, it's not that uh, you're anthropomorphizing primates when they act like humans. It's because we're all related.
0: Well, from the way that Kong looks and behaves, would you say he's one of the five great apes? Is he a giant gorilla or is he something else? He is not a gorilla. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I was watching this
2: movie and it's like, I, I'm i not even sure they call him a gorilla. If they do, it's only a couple times. For the most part, it's like beast and creature and ape. Right. I'm going to say, okay, he's probably an ape. Okay. But he is not a gorilla. There is just, I found like two things that are similar and everything else is like, he's just his <laughs> own, which makes sense if he's on an island all by himself. Maybe he evolved into something different, but right. he, is, he is not what anyone would say. Okay. So you gorilla.
1: cannot see. All right. that's wait, a- no.
2: What are these differences though? Okay. Well, gorillas do not have white eyes. They made, they made him have white eyeballs. Yes. To make him look more human. Right. Okay. okay. Which is probably why people were a little bit more receptive and, yeah. and, and more emotionally connected. So, but I saw that and I was like, ooh, it's, it's kind of creepy. <laughs> um, his coloring is all wrong. If, if he's an adult gorilla, he's going to have a silver back and he's just black all over or brown. It's hard to right. go in a black and white movie. Yeah, but yeah. either way, he was all one color. Um, I was on the impression that when he went up to fight that pterodactyl, which was, I mean,
1: yeah, right, of course. Awesome. Sure. It was awesome. But
2: I mean, like, then he went into a cave and like, gorillas don't live in caves. Right. I mean, they they're, they live in forests. So like, the forest was good. But yeah. once, once he's like, cool, I'm going to go out to my Back boat home. in the cave in my home. Yeah. No. The gorillas <laughs> don't live in, in caves. And like, he walks bipedally. He walks on two legs for like, almost the entire movie. I believe there's one scene where he was on all fours. Yeah. Like knuckle walking, which is what gorillas do. And that's just so... So glaring of a discrepancy, I just couldn't really get by that. So, like, gorillas and all apes, they have to knuckle walk because of their skeletal structure, the muscular structure, and their hip placement. It's really uncomfortable and energy inefficient for them to stand upright. So they do it for very brief periods when they're doing, like, an aggressive display. Occasionally when they're carrying something – not a person,
1: right? Yeah, but
2: a person's too heavy. So proportionally, Kong is completely out of out of whack. Anyway, um, and I wonder that,
1: if Peter Jackson fixed that in his version of Kong. I don't think so, though, because I feel like every time you see a gorilla or an ape in a movie like this, you know, besides Planet of the Apes, which I feel like, what, would you say that that's closer or no? Uh, oh, so much closer. the
2: new one, so much closer. The new ones. So okay, old ones. Yeah. Like if if a gorilla is going to be upset, like. I'm sorry. He, he's not going to do wrestling moves on an allosaurus. Like, <laughs> it's actually a wrestling match. And yeah. gorillas don't do that. Gorillas are actually extremely gentle and okay. shy and quiet animals. Um, Silverback's job is to protect his females and his offspring. And gorillas are designed to display and threat and bluff. They okay. do not like to fight. They are not fighters whatsoever. So they're not
1: just like ripping jaws open like King Kong is doing. In and this. then
2: checking to see if it's dead? Yeah. No. They would bark. They would hoot. They would... Charge! They yeah. they would um, beat their chest as a precursor to a display or a threat. Sure. They would throw vegetation. They'd slap the ground, and then they'd wait for the enemy to leave. And if the enemy didn't leave, he would leave. Uh, the very rare time that it would lead to some kind of physical confrontation, um, like two male gorillas will run at each other and they'll kind of do a slap fight. And if they are going to, they use their canines. They do not swing. He was punching everything left and right. Yeah, yeah. It's just he was like a
1: boxer. Much. Yeah,
2: yeah. And I can't believe I have to say this, but gorillas don't eat people.
1: Right.
2: Oh, sorry. No. And he ate several.
1: Oh, yeah. He really just shot like chewed down on. Him. We were talking about this idea that, you know, this island is giving him these brides and quotes, uh, for him to eat. And my first thought was if he was to eat people, if we let's just take out the, the eating people thing, I don't think it would be that filling. Like you would have to be able to do sacrifices almost like four times a day because it seems like for a eighteen foot gorilla, I don't I don't know if that would satiate for that long.
2: Right. So Um, like western lowland gorillas, which are the ones that you would most often see in zoos um, around the world, they're four and a half to six feet tall, and they eat between 40 and 60 pounds of food a day. Okay. Okay. so And that's leaves and bark and flowers and vegetables and fruits, and they're complete herbivores. Occasionally, they'll eat an ant or termite, but for all intents and purposes, they are herbivores. So if they have to eat 60 pounds of vegetables, basically, a day, I mean, he would need – 50 people
1: a day. Yeah. That, okay. It's
2: just not going to happen.
1: <laughs> but now what about the connection between like Kong and this woman? Do you feel like that, and I I feel like now I'm using like a twilight term imprint, mm-hmm. but like, do you feel like that, uh, that gorillas are apes that can connect to people? Do you feel mm-hmm. like there's a, a different like relationship? Obviously you're in there working with them all the time. Do you yeah. feel like. They recognize you, that you have that connection with them? Oh,
2: absolutely. Yeah. Um, We work with our great apes and monkeys, obviously, every single day. And so um, they are very sensitive creatures, and they need time to warm up and to accept you. And it's all about the energy you bring. Um, And working with a gorilla is different than working with a chimpanzee or with an orangutan. I've been lucky enough to experience all three, and you have to bring a slightly different energy to all of them. But gorillas, you know, they're going to size you up. A silverback male is very um, territorial and very defensive of his group, so you need to kind of become— Accepted by right. him in order to be able to work with not only him but also his his ladies and his offspring as well, um, and and that takes time.
1: Like, and do they have personalities? Do you think, or is it is it more of a general personality? Oh,
2: every single primate is going to be different, just like you and I. Wow. And if you kind of if you come to the LA Zoo and uh, watch for more than five minutes, you'll yeah. see the different personalities coming out. Um, some of them are kind of happy-go-lucky. Some of them don't like to eat vegetables. Some don't like the rain. Right. Some love to entertain with patrons. Um, and love to go up to the windows and watch people. Baby- We've got a chimpanzee who adores babies, so whenever she sees a baby at the front, she'll come down and just okay. kind of stare at the baby. It just They're all completely different, and it takes us a long time to get to know each and every one and the different personalities and different likes and dislikes, and we treat all of them like the in- individuals that they are.
0: Well, but Kong comes out decades before, you know, mm-hmm. Coco the gorilla before uh, Jane Goodall even. Like, what did people know about primates in 1933? Like, how much have we learned since then? I would say very little.
1: <laughs> really?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. The um, the very first great ape studies were in the
2: early 60s, okay. um, late 50s, early 60s. And at the time, you know, they defined man as the toolmaker. They had no idea that apes of all different kinds and shapes and forms and yeah. cultures could do tools. They had absolutely no no idea what these creatures were. So we've learned a lot. Wow. So they were
0: just like monsters almost. Yeah. They were
2: just like dinosaurs in a way. Yeah, no, they were all seen gorillas in particular, um kind I I think were kind of fascinated people earlier than some of the other great apes. The orangutans were extremely elusive. Um gorillas were just kind of seen as these horrible beasts, which is why zoos have been working so hard to educate people that they are in fact gentle giants and wonderful creatures that are so related to us that we need to take the time to yeah. learn about them. They're critically endangered and so
1: it's hard Why job do you to help think them they are viewed this way cuz i i think there is this idea like oh they're ferocious what what do you, what do you think it is is it because of a movie like king kong
2: i think king kong certainly didn't help the right. image early on but also i mean once you start getting the wildlife documentaries look gorillas sleep a lot mm-hmm. that's not so exciting to watch right. on on animal planet yeah but you see a chest beat you see a gorilla charge that's super exciting and so you're going to show that and people are going to be like that's amazing that's must be what they do 18 hours a day. And it's like, no, actually, they're right. peaceful and they play with their babies and they, they drink from a waterfall and they take a long <laughs> nap in the afternoon. And and most of the time, there's no conflict whatsoever because it's just right. one male in his family that he has to protect. That's that's it. I mean, chimpanzees, though, they eat other chimpanzees sometimes. They are way more violent and aggressive than gorillas. Um, okay. so that that's just that's yeah. just their nature. They're they're of all the great apes, they're the most aggressive, and it's not even close. Right, and they're the most like us. They are. They are. They <laughs> are. They are about ninety eight percent genetically um, similar to us. Um, they don't kill and really eat each other. They just certainly wage war on other groups. So they'll do territorial patrols, and if they happen to see someone who has wandered into their territory, they will. Um, Yes. Yeah. Horrifically maim or kill um, if they need to. Unless, of course, it's a young female wandering through and then it's, hello.
0: <laughs> you want to come back
2: to our place? And she most likely would. That's why she's wandering around trying to find a different group.
0: Well, what do you think would happen if King Kong ran across like- New York?
2: <laughs> well, yeah. Well, okay. Well, gorillas, let's, let's say King Kong is a gorilla. Okay. Right. He's not. Yes. I think we've established that, but let's say yes. he is. Okay. Gorillas don't climb. So, one thing, he's never He wouldn't be going to the top never of never going to climb to the top of any building because male gorillas are too heavy. They okay. don't climb. Maybe if there's amazing fruit and he knows the branches are strong <laughs> enough. So, unless the Empire State Building is covered in figs, right. he's not going up there because gorillas don't fight, they run away. So, instead, okay. he probably would have found a dark alley and hidden behind a garbage can.
1: At the LA Zoo, I think you guys keep such a beautiful zoo and the the animals seem so well tended to and I I love going there and I go there a lot. Um, what do you think when you see people taking animals out to be in movies or be in TV shows? Anything from a like Clint Eastwood back in the day to this—is that—is that, is that it, supposed to be? Ha- yeah. No. T- okay. Yeah. No.
2: We do not approve of that whatsoever. Yeah. Um, really, no animal care professional who works with primates would approve of that. in right. In my opinion, how are you getting them into this movie? Mm-hmm. Well. You're not just taking an animal who's lived in a zoo for 20 years and putting them in a movie. Instead, what you're doing is taking a primate when it's born, you're taking it away from its mother, and you're raising it in um, in a non, completely non-natural setting. So right. primates are peer learners, which means everything they need to learn to be a chimpanzee, to learn to be a macaque or a gorilla, they learn from their family, from their, from their mom and dad and everyone in their group. If you take them out of that, they're going to become something else. So... Let's say you have – a chimpanzees are used a lot more in movies and entertainment than gorillas. So let me use a chimpanzee as an example. So you pull a chimpanzee from its mom. You raise it as a weird human-chimpanzee hybrid thing so that you can use it in movies and direct it and put it in pants and diapers and all that stuff. Oh, it's super cute. Now it's on entertainment cards. Now it's on calendars. Now it's on commercials. Well, what happens when it becomes seven years old and it is way too dangerous to handle anymore? Well, you can't keep it. So now you have entertainment companies going, well, what do I do with this animal? Unfortunately, you can't then take that chimpanzee and just put it with other chimpanzees. It's not a chimpanzee anymore. You changed it. You changed it. And so if you did that, other chimpanzees would say, I don't know what you are. You don't look you look okay, but you're not not acting right. And they'd probably reject them or or kill them. The practice is starting to go away. Um, A lot of those ex entertainment ships end up living completely by themselves, which is torture for a primate because they are extremely highly sociable animals. Um, Luckily, there are a lot of um, sanctuaries being um, developed at the moment, and they have the tools to take these basically special needs animals. Once once they're not raised with their own kind, they They get a little funny, yeah. Um, And they're able to kind of pair them up or do larger groups because they all have different needs. But I'm thinking now of the
0: monkey in the Hangover movies. Oh yeah, Mm -hmm. who like chain smokes on film? Oh yeah,
1: that monkey seems like he's not necessarily taken care of Um, that well.
0: Um, yeah, I'm.
1: Yeah, no, yeah. Do
0: not
2: approve. Yeah, thumbs down.
1: Um, I would just say just to give us an idea of what is your normal day like, you know.
2: The normal day, um, I do specialize in the chimpanzees at the moment. So okay. the normal day is to come in the morning, check all the apes, make sure everyone's okay, administer any, any medications that they might need. They're so closely related to us, um, so they take a lot of the same medications. So my birth control pills, if there's one with oh, wow. high blood pressure, they'd have bl- bl- they blood pressure. They take actual birth control Yeah, pills? just pop the pill out of the pack, just wow. put it in juice, and they have it. Uh, well, I mean, apes like to breed. We, we don't right. stop that, but we can't have them have babies all the time because right. they live for so long, we can only have babies that we can make sure we can take care of for the rest of their lives. So birth control is
0: huge. A a, a pharmacy? Yeah. Like in a, Who's the prescription made out to? Um, Well, the Zoo Health Center. Yeah. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we have excellent
2: medical care at the zoo. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then, you know, we kind of clean the area that they're going to be for the day. We open up. If they want to go, great. If they don't, that's fine. It kind of depends. Apes are so intelligent that we give them as much choice as we possibly can. So they know where they want to go and who they want to be with for the day. And if they move out of an area, we'll clean that and set it up. We do training a couple times a day for medical management. So we've trained Um, ultrasounds, um, EKGs, x-rays all awake and just Positive participation um, through protected contacts so we can take care of them without removing them from their area because we want them to be with their, their family yeah. since they are so social. Um, we even trained one to use a breast pump when um, breastfeeding wasn't going really wow. well. We do a behavioral enrichment to keep them physically and mentally active. So that could be anything from, you know, cool substrates out on exhibit to different foods or taking their food and cooking it and adding spices or something different to make um, every right. day um, a little bit different, which they can partake in or not. It's kind of up to them. Puzzle feeders and apes love puzzles. And-
1: you know, if you're in a way. <laughs> I would recommend going to the LA Zoo, because I love it. But can you tell us maybe what we could look out for at the zoo?
2: Sure, Um, for a gorilla specifically, we have um, six gorillas, uh, six Western lowland gorillas. We have um, two um, bachelors that live in a bachelor group, which mimics um, in the wild. You'd have a family group and a bachelor group. And our family group, we have a silverback male named Kelly and three females. And one of our females is brand new. We just got her from the San Diego Zoo two months ago uh, for breeding. So we're hoping that she and Kelly take a liking to each other and can have um, some offspring in the next few years to Help you know new generations of kids learn and learn about gorillas and educate themselves about gorillas and conservation efforts and what we can do to help the species.
1: That's amazing. Well definitely check that out. That's amazing.
2: Yeah,
0: Kate, it has been awesome. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me.
1: King Kong did not receive any awards. And this is a film that we've, we've already discussed is groundbreaking on so many levels. The producer or the head of the studio, uh, Selznick, who left the film uh, in the middle of it and actually was very uh, important in the film because the film at one point was called Kong. He said, no, no, King Kong, but he uh, appealed to the Academy and was like, let's give them something for visual effects, but the Academy declined and they didn't come around to instituting that award until uh, five years later in 1938. Uh, The only thing that King Kong received was a special achievement award for the development of the translucent uh, acetate and cellulose rear screen. I mean, that's pretty crazy for a movie that is so massively groundbreaking. Yeah, you I'm know? trying
0: to imagine smoothing out a party being like, well I got this Oscar for still your little survivor
1: You know, Amy, I gave you a little bit of context about when King Kong came out, but I wanna kinda paint a bigger picture about the year nineteen thirty three and a segment we like to call Year facts. Year facts. All right, so 1933, we already established, is at the height of the Depression. We're talking about the cost of an average house is about $5,000. People are making about $1,000 a year. A vacuum cleaner costs about 17 bucks. But this is a very uh, big year for a couple of reasons. Number one, monopoly and chocolate chip cookies were invented in this year. The first chocolate chip cookie ever Came out at the same year as King Kong.
0: Well, and we invented Monopoly right when everybody's broke.
1: And uh, the first drive-in movie uh, was also invented. Uh, started in New Jersey. Alcatraz became a federal penitentiary. Uh, Wiley Post became the first man to fly solo around the world. And, of course, uh, the Reichstag passes the Enabling Act, making Adolf Hitler the dictator of Germany. And the Gestapo is established. So that is a big Big year. But I don't want to leave you just on a Hitler fact. I'll also say this is the same year that Shirley Temple signed a contract with Fox when she was five years old. So there yeah. you go.
0: Which is connected. That was part of FDR trying to lift the national mood at the worst part of the Depression. This is part of what made me be interested in film criticism is learning this in my very first film criticism class. They were like, yo, 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 there's a connection between history and the movies, and that's part of it. FDR was like, I'm newly in office. I just got inaugurated. Everyone's in an awful mood. I want them to feel better as I slowly do this process of turning the country around at the New Deal. Uh, let's get some cheerful movies on. Enough with this gangster stuff. I
1: want, uh, I want to see more more politicians getting involved in making movies. Let's see.
0: Yeah, besides Steve Bannon.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I do want to ask you a question. Talking about this final scene on top of Empire State Building – classic scene and what a beautiful subtle death when King Kong is shot like I I feel for him as you see him just really get affected and fall and uh, there's just a sadness there
0: and that terrifying plane POV of it coming
1: (sighs) Uh, which the director is in the cockpit of that King Kong is dead and then this happens
0: oh no it wasn't the airplanes it was beauty killed the beast what do you
1: think of that line?
0: You know, I have issues with it for a bunch of reasons. Yeah. One, it kind of makes Fay Ray the problem. Yes, that bothers me. That's it's horrible. not the
1: problem. Yeah. He did not come to New York for her.
0: Yeah, blaming the woman. Fine. Also, I have an issue with it because Beauty killed the Beast. That's basically Carl Dunham's whole point from the very beginning. When he starts talking about this movie, he's like, "I need a Beauty and yes. the Beast." He. It means he goes through this entire King Kong thing. He goes to an island far away. He fights a bunch of dinosaurs. He brings this back. A bunch of people die. And he's right where he began. He didn't learn anything. He just got his point proven.
1: Well, I mean, I have a lot of issues with Carl Denham. I mean, why not just make a movie? Why do you have to do a one-night-only show of a $20 gorilla and a you know, in chains. What What is that show? I want to know what the running order of that show is. I don't know how that's going to be interesting. Um, it's going to be boring. you to lose all the excitement of it. It's uh, like Hello, putting, my baby. Hello. <laughs> it's like Young Frankenstein or something. But yeah, no, that last line, I feel like they knew Beauty and the Beast is like an interesting turn of phrase, but it doesn't make any sense. It's sort of like... It just doesn't. It's not what the movie is about. It's not like she doesn't trick him. She he is killed by. And basically, it's like it's like the beast is killed by society. I mean, it's sort of like you know, left to his own devices, he'd be on Skull Island, chowing down on brides, uh, and you know, and it would be fine life for him.
0: I'm with you, and I think in that spirit. Let's read a negative review of King Kong. All right, great. <laughs> Let's go to The New Yorker. Let's go to The New Yorker's John C. Mosher, the original Pauline Kael, perhaps. Ooh. In this perhaps rather perturbing phase of our history, there is a little more than usual to be said for a picture like King Kong. It is so excessive, so grotesque and absurd that it makes even the events of the day seem temperate and commonplace, which I like because as m- yeah. me jumping in, it, uh, that makes me feel like I'm reviewing a movie now right now. Um, <laughs> In general, it's somewhat like a nightmare one might have dozing away by chance in the shadows of the dinosaur in the Natural History Museum. This ridiculous film presents a mammoth ape of prehistoric build. He goes on to say that while the picture is certainly diverting, kind of giving it that little pat on the head, way to go Avengers, basically, movie, and that no picture of such an exotic personnel can lack interest, he feels the same way too. He regrets the love story, but calls Fay Wray honorably wooed and won by Bruce Cavett, the actor who plays Jack. Major issues with that. And says, it will be nice for children, I should imagine, because it makes the little thing scream. Wow. So it's, it's kind of the way I think we'd review it today, which I think is interesting.
1: So we both agree that we like Skull Island. It's a fun movie, and this story can still work. Um, what do you think is interesting about King Kong that I feel like people miss all the time in Godzilla? Like I feel like Godzilla has been kind of rebooted, and we talk a lot about these other movie monsters You know, like so many rows of teeth and stuff like that. Why is King Kong something that people come back to that is still always effective? Do you you have a theory on that?
0: I don't know. I mean, maybe there's something in this interplay of man and the thing closest to us. Right. In in this idea of— We can
1: identify with it.
0: Yeah, we identify so much with King Kong, and maybe we identify it to an uncomfortable level— with Carl Denham. I mean, we're also here for the spectacle. We're also here to see something crazy happen. I mean, yeah. what Carl Denham is doing is not that much different than, say, the Romans in the Coliseum. A, one of the wonders of the world. Yeah. And so maybe the film, I love stuff that makes me feel dirty and guilty. And mm-hmm. this definitely does that. Well, I, I think there's also like
1: a built-in morality here. I think that this movie works the same way that Jurassic Park works in the sense that you are – you are taking something out of its natural habitat. You know, when, for Jurassic Park, you're creating these beasts and putting them in a modern world. That's not fair. So you sympathize with these creatures. They're only doing what they know to do. When you have, like, a crazy cloverfield monster, it's harder to sympathize with it. I don't even understand exactly why it's here or what's what it's doing. So I think it's an interesting idea to think when you make these movies – you need to identify with it. And I think a lot of these films that come out that feel blah are simply because it's it's a cool creature, it's a cool idea, there's good actors in it, but there's nothing that's grounding you to this 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 thing. I have no Yeah, chill it, shoot it, drop it out of the sky, I don't care.
0: I think you're right. You by the way, we had that movie earlier this year, Rampage with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Yeah. In Rampage, I don't know. How much we should spoil Rampage? Yeah, you can spoil it. Can I spoil Rampage? Forgive me, guys. If anybody gets mad, I'll take the heat for it.
1: Yes, fast forward by 60 seconds. You know,
0: Rampage is sort of modeled on King Kong. You have a giant, or the video game. I was actually playing the video game last night at this arcade bar. Oh, nice. Uh, But you have a lizard, you have King Kong, and you have a wolf attacking cities. Um, In the Rampage movie, uh, the gorilla, it's the gorilla who is the rock's best friend. You know, he's not going to be best friends with the lizard. He's not going to be best friends with the wolf. He's going to be best friends with the man, the man-shaped thing. Right. And that movie ends with the gorilla – the director really wanted the gorilla to die at the end of Rampage. Right. And The Rock was like, you're not letting him die. And he threatened to quit the movie if they if the gorilla died. And so he, Rampage has this, like, double ending almost. And again, I'm sorry, dudes, but, no, you know, yeah. where the gorilla looks like it dies. So you get that moment, and then he comes back to life. So they both won. But there's just – I guess we look at a gorilla and we see ourselves. I can't think of that many movies where we're happy when the gorilla dies.
1: Amy, um, this is fascinating. I highly recommend King Kong. And uh, I almost think it should go up a little bit higher on the list. But uh, 41 is a nice spot for it.
0: All right. Well, you feeling lucky, Paul? I, I am. Should I these dice right I here? I
1: cannot wait. What do you got?
0: All right. Little giant die. Whoa. Uh, oh, I hit my glass. Uh, and it landed on the zoshi Hedron has spoken. It is number 28, which is?
1: Ooh, All About Eve.
0: <gasps> all About Eve.
1: Never saw this movie.
0: Oh, well, we're going to know all about her.
1: I'm very excited to meet Eve.
0: Well, maybe there's other people out there who don't know all about Eve yet. All about her, all about her. So maybe that should be our call to action. What do you think this week?
1: I love it. Call us and tell us what you think All About Eve is about. And no cheating. I will do the same. I'll write it down, and then I will read my response uh, upon hearing your responses next week.
0: And the number, as always, to call is 747-666-5824. That's 747-666-5824. All
1: right. We will see you next week for all about Eve. But make sure that you subscribe to this podcast if you're listening and you like it. Recommend it to a friend and join us on our Facebook page and our Twitter page as the conversation always continues there.